Welcome to episode 54 of The Journey is the Reward. The opening and closing music is performed by the Modiglizio Youth Choir. I'm Brian Coleman, and I've been a frequent flyer for a large portion of my life. As a result of traveling around the world, I've flown over 5 million miles. Over 3 million of those miles have been flown on United Airlines as a member of their Mileage Plus program. This has earned me a premier 1K status for life. Will I get to be a Global Services member after flying 4 million miles? Probably not. However, with my co-host Micah, we will talk about my continuing adventures, the passenger experience, conversations with subject matter experts, and who knows what all else. The goal is to document the journey as it is the reward. So let's get started. Hey, Micah, this show, we're going to talk about one of my crazy international flights again. And what a show it is. And it was a crazy flight. And it's good to see you. The people think that we're, you know, we're talking all the time. We're sort of in touch, but we haven't recorded a show as far as our listeners know, you know, every two weeks, but I don't think we've recorded one in three or four weeks. It seems like forever. So it's great to see you. And this is going to be a good show all about travel. It's a real travel show. Exactly. But first we have some listener mail. Yes, we do. We heard from listener Srinand, who's a longtime listener to the Airplane Geeks. And for whatever crazy reason, obviously he has no taste. He followed us here. Mm Mm-hmm. And what a great guy he is, and what an interesting guy. You know, he's a 787 captain. Yeah, and currently flying for a carrier based in the Middle East. I wonder which of the three that could be. I don't know, but he was also based in Singapore and said that he was really sorry that he missed you when you were traveling there so often. Well, I'm really sorry that I missed him there as well, because that would have been great to meet up with him there and certainly introduce him to listener Matt as well. That would have been fun. Yeah, I think you guys would have had a great time, but but he's been listening to the Airplane Geeks for so long that he remembers when my mom was on the show, and my mom's been gone over 10 years now. Yeah, we all miss Harriet, that's for sure. So anyway, Srinath says that he really enjoyed the episode with Captain Chris Dowell, and boy, that was a fun episode. It really was. And he talked about how flying a modern airline feels a little different from flying some of the older ones. and. Well, from flying his steerman that, that we'll talk about another time. In fact, Srinan's email was so long. We're going to do this in two parts. We're going to talk about the first part on today's show. And then in the next episode, we'll talk about the second part. And I think this is the meat of his email where he talks about, I'd mentioned United Flight 232. Both you and I really raised the question with Captain Chris, are the pilots today as good as they were years ago? Do they possess the same skills? Has glass cockpits made them less effective as pilots? And I think Captain Chris came along to the defense of modern pilots and saying that through crew resource management, the training they get, they're every bit as good today as they were years ago. And he offered a, I guess, supporting viewpoint to Captain Chris. I think he brought up a really good discussion, but he also mentioned that, you know, based on that, a good friend of ours and fellow podcaster on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast, Captain Jeff, talks about the difference between some of the newer pilots that he flies with compared to the old pilots, and Jeff is getting ready to retire. So he's one of the old ones. Yeah, he's, he's one of them now. <laughs> right. And and Srinan suggested we have him on as a guest. And you know what? I'm sure that Jeff would join us, and he would be a great guest. He's such a good guy, and he has a lot of great information. And I think this would be a fun topic to talk about with Captain Jeff, and I think we ought to send him an email and invite him to join Yeah, I will absolutely do that and see if we can work it out with the schedule and get them on the show. But I also like the fact that he brought up the U.S. Airways flight 1542 and the way that he was saying that an awful lot of luck happened that day with that flight crew. And had there been extensive cloud cover or rainy conditions, the outcome could have been completely different. And the piloting skills might not have been as big of a factor because the end result would have been a much worse crash. And that's the miracle on the Hudson flight that we're talking about. And the Hudson can be awfully choppy depending on the weather. And it was smooth as glass that day. But the interesting thing about that flight, and I think we mentioned it with Captain Dow, is that the pilot, Sully, and the co-pilot, Jeff Skiles, only met for the first time that morning as they sat down next to each other on the flight deck. That was the first time they've ever met each other, Mm -hmm. the first time they ever flew together. But because of crew resource management, they certainly were able to work together to bring that plane in as safely as they could under the circumstances. 
Yeah, definitely. And this is where I think he concludes the first part of his email with, when you look at statistics, that there have been zero fatalities in the U.S. in the past 14 years. Something's going on right with pilot training, with their skill, with crew resource management, with just everything going on with air travel these days. It's a phenomenally safe mode of transport, and the pilots are doing a fantastic job. But I want to bring up something that you mentioned that's very important, 14 years in the U.S. Yeah. And we can talk about, let's save this topic for Captain Jeff. Yeah, no, absolutely, because I think training is different here. Maintenance of the aircraft is different. There's a whole bunch of things that are different. Not saying that other places aren't as good or possibly even better. It's just there are places around the world that are that are different. Right. I was going to say there are other places that are not as good. Yeah. And again, I'll say they're just different. <laughs> Fair we enough. Can, yeah, we, we can agree to disagree over um, over specifics on that. No problem. We, we were very good at disagreeing. We, yes. we do it very well. That was only the first half of Srinan's email. The second half is just as long and equally interesting. And stand by. We'll cover that on the next episode. And some really interesting information about a 1942 Stearman. One of my favorites and can't wait to talk about it. But we have an update. We do. In our sections, additions, corrections, and shout outs. What happened to your neighbor's luggage? Yeah, and much to their surprise, they got it back after three weeks. And all of their gifts were inside and nothing was taken. I think the luggage really enjoyed their vacation and just wanted to stay in Europe and visit some other countries. Which reminds me, I have on the website an article called The Bombayment Method. And this was an article that was published in 1984 in Playboy magazine. So people really do read Playboy for the articles. It's an article that is so hysterical that talks about air travel and what happens when you're not nice to gate agents and how your bag can get routed all around the world. Not saying that's what happened here, but it's just a great article. So I encourage everyone to go to the website, thejourneyistherewarded.org, and read the article, The Bombayment Method. And I also encourage everybody to remember that AirTags have been on sale pretty regularly, four of them for $89. <laughs> and had your friends had those, they would have known at least where it went. Yeah, exactly. They might not have ever gotten it back, but they would have known where it was. And yeah, fortunately for them, they got it back. So that's great news. So have we heard from Listener Lou? We did. Listener Lou sent another recording. So let's hear what Listener Lou has to say. Hi, Mike and Brian. It was recently announced that Karendin Airlines, a Turkish carrier, will have an adult-only zone, no one under 16, on flights between Amsterdam and Curacao starting in November. The adult zone will be in the front of their Airbus A350 jets with about 100 seats. The Turkish carrier says people traveling without children will get quiet surroundings and parents won't have to worry that their crying or fidgeting kids will annoy fellow passengers. How do you guys feel about this? Listener Lou wants to know. I don't know, Micah, what do you think about having a child-free zone on an airplane? On a lot of different podcasts in which I've appeared, I've been called Uncle Micah and the lover of children. But I do like children when they're prepared properly. I, I tend to like mine broiled, but I, I, I'm, I'm okay with kids when they're well behaved. I don't have any tolerance for a crying baby or a screaming child or a pretentious brat. I can't deal with it. I kind of like this idea. Uh, I, many times I have joked that, you know, children should be in the hold with pets. And I'm not sure which I prefer, have riding next to somebody's pet when they're holding their dog or their kitten or riding next to somebody's child. I don't know which is better. I don't like either one, quite frankly, unless, and again, some cats, some dogs, I adore. Some kids, I love having a conversation with. But generally, if I had an opportunity and could make that decision, smoking, non-smoking, kids, no kids. I would take the no kids. Yeah, you talk about kids. I think some of the adult passengers should be in the hold or put in an overhead bin as well sometimes with some of the behavior that I've seen on my flights. Absolutely. I think we have a lot of social problems just generally in society these days. People don't know how to be polite. They don't know how to interact well with each other. They don't know how to complain politely. And I think most importantly, people don't know how to be courteous and don't know how to extend courtesy to one another. 
It doesn't matter whether they're a child or whether they're an adult. The problem is these adults that don't have this experience often raise children. So what do you get? The same thing. Yeah, this, oh boy, what you just said um, really supports. I have a friend that says that everyone should be born sterile and you have to earn the right in order to reproduce. And if you can't pass a test, you can't have children. I know they're joking about that, but I don't know. Sometimes I think it might not be such a bad idea. Anyway, getting back to the flights. And and that is, that is by the way, I just want to point that out. I am really offended at <laughs> yahoo.com and that's for both of us. Yeah, fair enough on that one. I definitely deserve that one. But I think that these flights are, it just reminds me of things like when smoking was offered on airplanes. And you might have sat in a row or two in front of the smoking section, but you still got all the smoke anyway. So I think being in a child-free zone, but a row or two in front of where all the kids are, that could be pretty miserable if you have a bunch of misbehaved children. On the other hand, and there were stories about this where there was an airline that would not allow a child to fly in business class, and that became a big news story. There mm -hmm. was also an airline where a child was allowed to fly in business class, but another passenger complained so much that actually he should have been moved back into coach because yeah, the see. child was perfectly well behaved. It's all a matter of who it is. In general, if I have my druthers, I would not want to take the chance. However, I can go either way on it. Yeah. And for me, I don't have a problem with an airline wanting to do this. I just wonder, will it lead towards higher ticket pricing? Because if they have to reserve a certain number of seats in the back, or they have a large number of parents that are bringing their children along, and yeah, it's like, how do you zone the plane properly for this? I could just see that a lot of seats not being filled as a result or a passenger not wanting to be on a flight because the only seat available is in the back assuming it's in the back, in the child-friendly zone. I don't know. I could just see higher ticket prices resulting. Yeah, and I don't like having it called an adult-only zone. There's too many connotations. What, that we might not ever be able to sit in that zone because we're not really adults? No, but you got to remember, I grew up in New York City in the 70s when it was adult-only theaters. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. <laughs> That's because you're not as filthy as I am. Once again, that is I am really offended at yahoo.com. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So let's talk about your trip to Europe. It sounds like overall it was a pretty good experience. It was. I had a bunch of really good flights, although there was a delay leaving Los Angeles uh, because there was so much fog in San Francisco. Uh, my flight was delayed out of L.A., my flight in San Francisco was also delayed, but we boarded on time, which simply meant because I was fortunate enough and I got upgraded, there was less time for me to spend in the Polaris Lounge. Oh. Yeah. So that was kind of sad. But did you get some time there? I did. I was able to go there in both Los Angeles and San Francisco. And it was kind of fun because I had breakfast in Los Angeles and then I had lunch in San Francisco and the food, as always, in the restaurant was really good, which meant I didn't really end up eating on the plane, which was fine. I guess we'll get to that in a bit as well. Well, that's. it sounds like it was a good time to be already starting off really well, but, but you had a little interesting landing on the way to San Francisco. <laughs> Yeah, I sure did. And I suspected this at the very beginning, because of course, when I went up to the flight deck to give out the gifts, the one pilot introduced himself as a former Navy pilot, and he flew F-18s. And as a result, I was expecting a really hard landing because, well, when you land an aircraft on aircraft carrier, you need to stick it. And gosh, when he landed the airplane in San Francisco, we landed so hard, I thought the masks were going to deploy from the overhead bins. Well, he must have been concerned about, you know, the the, the wind direction. And if he didn't want to fall off the edge, he needed to get trapped. <laughs> I mean, besides the um, the aggressive landing, everything else was really good. So it was a short time at San Francisco, but you did have enough time to stop in the Polaris Lounge. What did you have to eat? It was a very awkward time for me to be at the Polaris Lounge in San Francisco because they were changing meal services. So they had a really interesting grits item for breakfast, and I ordered that, and it was really good, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for because I had breakfast in Los Angeles. 
So I waited around about 10 minutes, just sort of picking through the grits. And then I asked if I could order lunch. And they said, yeah, sure, we could take your order. So I had another Polaris Signature burger, and it was really good, cooked to perfection. They do make a good burger there. So anyway, off to London, flying during the day, which is unusual for you, but nonetheless, off to London, and you met a flight attendant. Yeah, I came across Cassandra that I had flown with before, and she remembered me, and that was just really nice being able to sort of hang out with a new old friend. That's great. So off to LHR with Cassandra, and you were upgraded. Yeah, I was. It was really nice to see the upgrade come through, and that happened a day or so beforehand, so I knew that I had access to the Polaris Lounge, and that's really nice when that happens. And the other good thing is one of our favorite internet providers, our, our favorite carrier, was able to give you internet almost the whole way to London. Yeah, our favorite uncarrier, which is really nice. Having T-Mobile service, I didn't have to pay the, I think it was $26 that they were asking for internet. I actually got that for free. So that worked out great. So in addition to being able to do text messaging, I was also able to do email and surf the web. And that was that was really nice. Yeah, there was just a bit, I believe it was over Greenland where it stopped working. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, you lost it for a little bit someplace over Saskatchewan and Alberta, but but it came right back, I think, over Hudson Bay. Yeah, and again, you can't have coverage everywhere. I mean, this is still really new, dainty, fickle internet service. And the fact that it works, to me, is still really amazing. Yeah, the speed and performance was fine. I was quite happy with it. Just another reason why we tend to like T-Mobile. Again, we're not paid for it. We're not advertising it. We don't get anything in return from it. It's just what we found works best to travel for us. Yeah, and then, of course, once that I got to Europe, I was able to use my T-Mobile service where I had free text and data, and that worked out wonderfully as well. Now, the data speed was really slow. It was at 2G speed, but I didn't have to pay for it. And for doing text messaging, it really doesn't matter. And not paying for it is always the best price. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, so you have breakfast in LA, you have breakfast again in San Francisco and lunch, you're on the flight. Did you eat? Well, I was planning on eating because I had the option to pre-order food. And I pre-ordered the chicken, except I'd eaten so much in the lounge, I was actually too full to eat it. So no, I did not have lunch on the plane. And the, the flight attendants were just really confused and concerned over why I wasn't eating. And I had to explain to them multiple times that it's because I stuffed myself in the Polaris lounge. Now, you didn't even taste the chicken? No, I didn't. But I was able to taste the wines, which was really fun because when the flight attendant came around and asked what I wanted to drink, and I said, well, I really don't know any of the red wines that you have. I'd like to sample them. She looked at me and says, okay, well, which one would you like to sample? And I, of course, said, all of them. And she broke out four glasses and poured four different wines for me to try. You had a flight of wine on a flight. I did. Yeah, I think I sent you a picture of that. And that was that was an awful lot of fun being able to do the wine sampling on the plane. Now, you also did another fun thing and a smart thing to do because you needed to charge your phone. It was such a long flight. Yeah, being the 3D printing kind of guy that I am, and I know that the plugs on the plane get stretched out a lot, I printed a holder that would hold my charger in place. I kind of guessed on the size, so I made a bunch of notches. Basically, picture a square with a bunch of steps, or picture a set of steps. And because I didn't know which one, I just adjusted it till I got the right step in the place and held the charger perfectly. And yeah, I really like this uh, charger holder because I was able to charge my phone, not have to worry about the charger falling out. That's great. And you know, while you didn't really eat the chicken itself, you did manage to have dessert. Oh, I did. Again, there was, I really like the ice cream sundaes that United serves. So yeah. I'm so happy that they brought them back and had a really good Sunday on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day. If whatever we day it was. <laughs> and a terrific grilled cheese later. Yeah, the mid-flight snack was a grilled cheese. And that was, I'm so glad that they mix up the mid-flight snacks. And instead of the plastic wrap sandwiches that seem to have been made, I don't know, a week or two beforehand, it's really nice having a fresh grilled cheese sandwich. And it turns out nice. It's much better than what you'd expect an airplane grilled cheese sandwich to be. I like it. Sounds good to me. So you 
I think for the first time, took a daytime flight to London, which is something that I really liked the idea of, but it didn't really work out for you and your sleep schedule. No, it really didn't because I was wide awake. But let me back up. Normally, the flights leave for Europe in the afternoon, late afternoon, early evening. And by the time you get the meal service and everything, it's time for bed. This one left two o'clock-ish. And because I was wide awake, I was wide awake all the way through the flight and wasn't able to sleep when I was on the plane, which I actually kind of enjoyed in a way because it gave me more time to talk with the flight attendants. But it wasn't very good for my sleep time. I've always liked the idea, at least from the East Coast, of flying during the day. Because if you leave at, say, 8 a.m. East Coast time in the USA, that's uh, in London time, that's what, one o'clock in the afternoon, more or less? And so from the East Coast, it's an eight-hour flight. So you get in in London time around nine o'clock in the evening, which is perfect. You had a long day, not a, it's a longer day as normal, but you get in at nine o'clock, you have a dinner, you hang out for a little bit and it's around midnight. And by midnight that time, it's already long enough. You can probably get to sleep, but it doesn't work when you get in at 10 o'clock your local time, ready to go to sleep. It just yeah. doesn't work out well. No, not at all. And yeah, this one, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to take this flight ever again, if given the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, like the flight crew, like the plane, just didn't like not sleeping. Now, on your flight from San Francisco to London, the flight attendants loved you so much that they set you up for a real interesting security experience after you landed in London, got through London Customs, and then were checking in to fly on Eurowings to Hamburg. Yeah, they did. They ended up giving me a bag full of mini airplane bottles, I think because we were sharing stories about having adult beverages. Without getting anyone in trouble, it was super nice that they were to give me this as a as a parting gift, except going through security in London, they didn't really know what to do with these little bottles. They were very surprised that I that I had them. Now, the thing that I know you've talked about airport security theater and how we really aren't any safer than we were before the incident of 9-11. And, and I really agree with that because they were so focused on these airplane bottles. They missed the fact that I had a can of Coke in my bag. I had a 24-ounce water bottle that I didn't empty, so I wasn't allowed to have that either. I also told the flight attendants that my mother has a very large collection of aviation flatware, so they gave me a brand new set of United flatware, including a knife, and that was all in my possession. The security in London Heathrow missed all of those items because they were so focused on the bottles of booze that the flight attendants gave me. So. You were on your way to Hamburg. Now, there's a very special reason. There's a number of reasons you went to Hamburg, but there's a really special one. Because I wanted to have a hamburger with a hamburger in Hamburg? With a Hamburgian? <laughs> a Hamburgite? Well, that might be one of them. And you've had a number of hamburgers, probably even in Hamburg. But no, I think there was even a better reason. Yes, there was. I got to meet mom in Hamburg because she was doing her 200th cruise and she sailed over from America on the QE2. And the QE2 ended up in Hamburg. 200 cruises and that 200th being a transatlantic, that's wonderful. Now, was she willing to talk with you while you were there on mic? No, she wasn't. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh. I know. I know. I so wanted to get her recorded. But part of the reason why is our time was so limited. She really didn't want to take any time supporting the show, which is really unfortunate. And the reason why our time was really limited is because their ship wasn't able to get to the dock on time because they're doing some dredging work in the harbor and they found an unexploded bomb from World War II and they ended up closing the port of Hamburg while they dealt with the bomb. Oh my gosh, that's that's really a uh, a real blast of a story. <laughs> yeah, so they spent about seven hours at the mouth of the harbor, just circling around, waiting for the all clear to enter the harbor. Now, fortunately, they were able to dispose of the bomb properly and no one lost their life or was injured in any way. But yeah, she was she was really upset, as was I, that our time was cut short because of that. 
That is really sad. But fortunately, we're going to have to tell her that we need to record something with her, whether it's in person together in Tampa or back on Zoom. But we definitely need to get, I need to get this story. I need to hear it (laughs) from her mouth. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the benefits of them being late is they got a really nice tour of the harbor. So normally the ship will come in, it'll dock around 4 a.m. And then everyone disembarks around 7 a.m. And that's what she was planning on doing this time. But because the ship was so late, they didn't end up entering the harbor until about two in the afternoon. So of course it's daytime. They got a beautiful tour of the harbor. So that was sort of an extra special excursion for them. Oh, that sounds great. That's really wonderful. I'm so glad you got to see her over there. That's that's really, really neat. But you also met up with one of our listeners. Oh, I did. On the second day, mom really wanted to go to Miniature Wonderland, which our listeners should go ahead and Google Miniature Wonderland. It's really an amazing place. And over the years, I've got to watch this venue grow and grow and grow. But while she was doing that, I got together with listener Hendrick. And listener Hendrick is a longtime Patreon contributor to the show. And we went on a factory tour of the Airbus final assembly facility. And that was really neat. Do they let you go in there after you've flown in on a Boeing product? (laughs) Well, I actually flew from London to Hamburg on an A320. So I guess that that was close enough. So yeah, they they let me in. Oh, well, let me ask you about that before we get to Hendrick, because I'm curious, you flew on Eurowings. Now, yeah. are they a part of Lufthansa? Are they a part of the Star Alliance? How, how do they, or are they a completely separate organization? Well, they're a subsidiary of Lufthansa. Lufthansa created Eurowings in order to get around the expensive pilots and flight attendants, right? If you have a separate company, you can hire more cost-effective labor. Eurowings is really designed to be a low-cost carrier. So were you able to get United points through the Star Alliance while you flew with them? Yeah. Or book through your points? Yeah. So whatever the revenue share was, I'd have to look to see exactly what it was. But I'm sure I got $17 credits and the mileage credit based off of those $17 worth of credit. It's really so small. It's a rounding error. But yes, they are part of the Star Alliance. And I do indeed get credit for those flights. It's just how they account for it is kind of crazy. Because if you remember, nothing is mileage-based any longer. It's all revenue-based. Yeah, we'll have to take that up with United, but that's... (laughs) (laughs) United and every other carrier at this point, because that's just how they do it. They they are revenue maximization programs. They are no longer frequent flyer programs. That's for sure. Were there any issues with Eurowings? Not on the flight in. Yeah, I have no issue flying with Eurowings, especially for such a short flight. It's an hour and a half flight, as long as I have a seat. So you got in there, you met with your mom, your mom went off on a separate trip, and then you got to spend some time with Hendrik. Why don't we listen to what he had to say? I'm here with listener Hendrik in Hamburg, Germany. Hendrik, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And today we did something kind of special, aviation related. Right. Well, since Hamburg... uh, is one of the biggest aviation cities outside, uh, like besides Seattle, for example, in the world. We have the big Airbus factory here, um, and uh, there's about 14,000 people here working and building new airplanes, A320s, A330s. Uh, yeah, and we got to take a tour of that today. Yeah, so that was a whole lot of fun. Yes, it was. Yeah, I found it really interesting in the tour that the A380 assembly building isn't being used for a380 construction any longer but they're having three a320s or a321s built in the same space that one a380 would fit in yeah that makes total sense i mean they built these large hangars those few many years ago about 20 years ago now and uh well so now they don't go to waste and they uh, they towards the end of the production they park the airplanes in there and uh, do final work final touch up that there was no time or as our guide explained uh, maybe seats were delivered later or an engine was late or still had a problem so they do the finishing touches now for for three planes at the same time yeah, the instead, same time, yeah. instead of one a380 yeah that was pretty impressive yeah. and then i thought the other thing that was really neat or that you did a special favor for me you had a beluga land right at the appropriate time for us to take a photograph of it. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, that was, of course, fantastic. And I can't really take credit for it. <laughs> but 
we were making our way towards the factory and for that you can take a ferry boat along the river Elbe that runs through Hamburg and uh, well the Beluga XL is the transport plane that brings the wings and some other components from other Airbus factories around Europe here to the final assembly line in Hamburg and as you say, it happened to just land across the river right in front of us. Yeah, that and was perfect. Yeah, it was just perfect. And if people can hear some noise in the background, we're actually on a ferry boat. So getting over yeah. to the factory, we had to cross the river. Yeah, that's actually for many of the employees here at the Airbus factory. That's their usual routine in the mornings. They drop their car off on one side of the river and then take the 10-minute ferry ride across and then go to work. Yeah, so we get a nice little harbor tour along the way. Definitely, <laughs> all for the price of a public transport ticket. <laughs> this time around there was a little bit of a difference in the tour. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I did the tour 10 years ago and haven't been back since. And uh, unfortunately, they don't allow visitors on the floor, any, on, down on the shop floor anymore. Uh, the guide explained that People touched too many airplane parts right. and walked uh, outside of the mar away from the marked path. And uh, I'm looking at you, Brian. It's probably <laughs> you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, so I, I did the tour about seven years ago where you could go on the shop floor. And he said they stopped it about three or four years ago. So it wasn't for me. Right. Specifically. <laughs> but yeah, so that was... Uh, I think so. It's much more like a Boeing tour at okay. this point, where you're on a catwalk and you get to watch the um, planes being made. The thing that was different to me, comparing it to a Boeing tour, is it wasn't a continuous assembly line. There were multiple buildings, and depending on what they were doing with the aircraft in its assembly process, they would do it in different buildings. So I think there's a lot more movement of the aircraft around the facility. Right, there's lots of cranes that are lifting the fuselage bits and pieces around and then uh, yeah we don't have like this uh, lane of planes that move through the building as they're getting ready like you have in yeah, Seattle, the continuous flow the continuous yeah. flow yeah. yeah but still impressive to see so many 321s all in various states of assembly yeah definitely I mean we got to see a lot of A321s uh, it show, just goes to show that they, this is the most popular narrow body now that they yep. produce here. And uh, yeah. And we got to see a special livery as well. True, we got to see uh, the new Gulf Air livery. Uh, I haven't seen that before, so who knows when that shows up. Yeah, so we might have seen it before it's been uh, shown to the public flying around. Could be. We should Google that before we release that. <laughs> Now this is a podcast. Oh, no. Say with confidence, people will believe you. Right. Uh, I haven't seen it before, so that, that was that was very interesting. Yeah. yeah so, Hendrik, thank you so much for the day, um, the wonderful river tour, the tour of the factory. It's been really fun. Yeah, thank you so much. I can only recommend it. Uh, people come here to Hamburg to visit the factory. It's 25 euros, well spent. And uh, yeah, thank you for making your trip out here to Hamburg, Brian. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. That's a first. Uh. <laughs> yes, once again, I can't say enough nice things about Hendrik. He's such a kind, caring, giving individual. It was really fun hanging out with him and doing the tour. It was the public transportation boat getting from one side of the river to the other where the factory is. And he spent really a good part of an afternoon with me. And I know he has a small child at home. So it was just really nice that he was able to spend the time. And that sounds like fun. That's really super. So how long were you in Hamburg? Total, I was there for eight days. Did seem like a long time. Oh, I missed you. Oh, <laughs> And then you came back the same. You came back the same way through uh, Eurowings and then United. Yes, and here's where the frustration comes in with Eurowings. So with Eurowings, you can't get your seat assigned until you check in, and of course you can't check in until 24 hours before your flight. The problem is because I can't get a pre-assigned seat, I'm always afraid that I'm going to get a middle seat, which in this case I did get a middle seat, and it's impossible to get my United boarding pass. So although I have a seat on the United flight, 
I do not have a physical piece of paper boarding pass, nor is there any way to move the boarding pass into my wallet on my iPhone to have an electronic boarding pass. So I find it just very uncomfortable not having a boarding pass ahead of time. Now, I thought you used the United app for your boarding pass. You do for United, but when you're in Europe and you have to check in with Eurowings because that's your first flight out of Europe, you have to do it through the Eurowings website. Oh, okay. So while the flights on Eurowings, as you were saying, worked out just great, getting involved with them and working your reservation through in both directions was actually quite difficult. Yeah, it really is. And again, we've said that United in the air is fine. Their ground services let us down. And here again with Eurowings, their service just let us down. In trying to get a different seat, Besides the middle seat that I was assigned, I just I couldn't talk with anyone to get this issue resolved. And that was really frustrating. For my flight over to Germany, or the flight from London to Germany, I was assigned a middle seat. So I called United and I said, hey, really like to get this changed. And I said, well, you can't. You have to talk to Eurowings. Okay, great. What's a Eurowings phone number? Well, the phone number that they give you is not a valid working phone number to call from the U.S. So now I have no way to get the number. I go on the website and I use the confirmation number that United provides for the Eurowings reservation, except that doesn't work either. I find it really frustrating after 25 years or so of United and Lufthansa being partners, founding members of the Star Alliance, their IT systems are still so bad. Just the inconvenience that it causes me as a customer. I just find that really, really, really frustrating. I can hear Cranky right now. Cry me a river. <laughs> <laughs> What's new? Yeah, and certainly this is a first world problem, right? I mean, complaining about a seat on something that would normally take what, six months to transit the Atlantic and to get from one country to the other. I'm doing it now and 10, 12 hours. Yeah, it's amazing, but it's still so frustrating being a passenger, not being able to get what you want and have that done. However, one of the things that really did work out on the flight from Hamburg back to London, I of course brought cards and unfortunately I only had United hooks to give to, to the Eurowings flight attendants. They just absolutely love the fact that I gave them a, a gift and they had me move from my regular equivalent of economy plus seat on Eurowings to the business class seat, which, as you know, when you travel into Europe, it's still a coach seat. They don't have any different seats. All they do is block the middle seat. But I thought that that was really nice that they moved me. I, I was in row four. I got moved to row three and I had the whole row to myself. And I guess because I was in now flying in business class, I was eligible for a free bottle of water and a free sandwich. What a deal. <laughs> yeah. The point is be nice to flight attendants. They, they do have the ability to do really nice things for you in return. So that was fun. Yeah, they, they do. Some of the things that they do, they're not supposed to. Some of the things they do, they or some of the things they want to do, they can't. But always, those guys work so hard. I have yeah. such respect for them. Anyway, you get back to London and you have to go through customs. But a little bit of a glitch. Yeah, because the United Kingdom or England is no longer part of the European Union, you have to clear customs and go through immigration again. I'm not sure if I've mentioned on this podcast, I certainly have on Airplane Geeks, I have dual citizenship. I have my Irish passport and I have my U.S. passport. And when I travel around Europe, I just use my Irish passport because it's so much easier. Because Ireland is a member of the European Union. So when you're inside Europe in the European Union, it's much easier to get through customs. It is much easier in that you basically just show your boarding pass and you go through. There's, I don't think they're allowed to challenge you on anything. You just have the right of free passage, which is really nice. So when I get through immigration, everything's fine. But of course, I have to go to the United counter to get my United boarding pass because I don't have a boarding pass. So they ask for my reservation number. I give them that. They ask for my passport. I give them my Irish passport. And Oh my gosh, did that confuse them? Because they look at my Irish passport, and of course, I don't have a visa or a green card, 
because you don't need one because you're a U.S. citizen. Correct. And the place of birth on my Irish passport says the U.S. So therefore, by definition, I'm a U.S. citizen, right? It's impossible for me not to be if I was born in the U.S. Unless you denounced it, which you haven't. Correct. She was just insisting that I need a visa or green card. And I said, but I don't need one because I'm a U.S. citizen. And then finally, I dug through my bag and I really couldn't remember where I had put my U.S. passport, which the tip for listeners, always put your passport in the same place. I finally found my U.S. passport. And then I confused her again because she didn't realize that people are allowed to have multiple passports. So she was sort of questioning why I had two passports. Well, did you show her your license to kill as well? <laughs> no, I did not. I keep that hidden at all oh, times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting experience going through immigration. So I think the the word of caution for everyone is be prepared when you go through immigration and make sure you have your right passport at the right time. Good idea. But the good news is that your upgrade cleared. Yeah, I got upgraded again. So yeah, thank you, United, for being able to use Miles for an upgrade. And I was seated in 5F. So that was that was really nice. I was super happy about that. And you knew the flight attendants again. I did. There was a flight attendant that I had flown with years ago. I remembered him. He really didn't remember me at first because when I gave him the card, he says, wait, you're an author, aren't you? I was like, no, I do an aviation podcast. I've written some stuff, but I would never call myself an author. Yeah, I gave him the card. And later on in the flight, he comes to me and he goes, yes, now I remember you. You gave me a giant paperclip last time, not a hook. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. And yeah, so we had, again, mid-flight, we had a, a really good conversation. Actually, I had really good conversation with all of the flight attendants. They were amazing. And one of the things that really surprised me is how senior all of these flight attendants were. The chief purser, her seniority number was 153. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there were only 152 flight attendants that were more senior than she is. Now, out of the, what, 25, 28,000 flight attendants that United has to be 153, all of them had more than 45 years experience flying with United, every single flight attendant. And they were just so much fun to hang out with and talk with and swap stories over and all that. It was, yeah, it was a really good flight home. You were flying with a bunch of Bettys. And I yes. mean, Betty in the sky. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, although none of my flight attendants had a had a recorder, but the stories that they shared were equally as funny as Betty's stories. So uh -huh. that was that was real fun. Now you had an interesting meal on the way home. You had what uh, I'm going to call <laughs> a a hamburger Wellington. That's exactly what it was described as in the in the menu. Yeah, there was a hamburger that was completely wrapped in pastry dough. It was really good, except. I found it really difficult to put ketchup on my hamburger. Now, maybe you're not supposed to put ketchup on a Wellington hamburger, but I wanted to. I like, I enjoy my ketchup on my hamburger, but I had no idea what to do with this burger that was completely encased in the Wellington dough bread, whatever it's called. Well, you know, you're not supposed to cook a good steak well done or put ketchup on that either, but there's a former president that does. <laughs> so, you know, I suppose anything you want to do is okay. The other thing that I was really surprised at is I got French fries as well. And the French fries were actually good. Oh, French fries on a plane. I love it. Yeah, French fries on a plane. Yeah. I didn't I did not expect them to be edible and then they were. So that was that was a really nice surprise as well. So yeah, all in all, a really good flight home, except Except you couldn't hear what your instructions were. Yes. Why is it that airlines spend tens of millions, hundreds of million dollars for an airplane and their audio system is so incredibly bad? Did not matter if a flight attendant was talking, if the captain, first officer was talking. I could not understand to save my life. Fortunately, I didn't have to worry about that. Any of the announcements that came over the overhead PA system. And it's not just this particular aircraft. It seems like 
all aircraft have such cruddy speakers. It's so frustrating not being able to hear the announcement. I have found that too. It often happens that way. Now, if, if you're plugged into their IFE with your headphones and it comes through there and sometimes it's clearer. Nah. Yeah, but not always. You know, this gives me an idea. We Another guest we should have on and maybe ask him about it because he's an audio genius. And that's our good friend, Neville Bounds. Oh, yeah. Nev from Plain Talking UK podcast. I know he's asked this question as well, and he might have researched it. So I think that he would be a great guest to have on for so many reasons, including he is a BA flyer like you're a United flyer, and he has a lot of stories, including flying on Concord. Oh, I was never able to fly on the Concord. I, uh, it's one aircraft. Well, there are a few aircraft that I really wish I was able to fly on, and that's certainly one of them. So yeah, Nev, I'm jealous of you. We ought to send an email to Nev. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that just frustrates me, not being able to hear the announcements from the pilots or the flight attendants. Airlines really need to fix that. I guess they figure nobody's paying attention to what's going on anyway. Why should they bother? Yeah, I guess. Which sort of reminds me of a story we'll be covering next episode about the safest thing to touch on the airplane where you're going to pick up the least <laughs> amount of germs on your fingers. But we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, that's that's a great article. That was hysterical. So flight back was fine. No problems. Landed in San Francisco. Did you have time to stop in the lounges on, in San Francisco and LA? No, it was actually a flight from London Heathrow to Los Angeles. So no stop in San Francisco on the way home, which was really nice. Oh, that's great. Except I couldn't go in the Polaris lounge. I know you're going to ask me because I was on the wrong side of security. Right. You clear customs oh. and immigration in Los Angeles. You're on the outside of security. I had to check my bag because of the bottles of booze that I was given on the, the flight ahead of time. I never would have been able to get it through security. So unfortunately, yeah, I missed out on the club in LA. Which reminds me of a story in terms of getting things through security. On the next show, ask me about my Swiss Army knife and security. Oh, yeah. I have I have a few of those as well. So it'll be interesting. We could compare Swiss Army knife stories. Yeah. Absolutely. So it sounds like a good trip. It was. It, it really was. It was it was really nice being able to see mom in Europe to show her around Hamburg for the limited time that we had. Yeah, she really enjoyed her time. And congratulations to her again for her 200th cruise. All this madness that we're doing on this podcast, it's all her fault because she's the one that introduced me to travel and got me to love it so much. Blame Mrs. Coleman. She's the one. Exactly. And so talking about short periods of time, you're only home for a short period of time. You're on your way out again. Yes, I will be in Chicago for the Chicago Marathon. Not that I'm running it, but my nephew will be, and I will be in Chicago to cheer on, I guess, well, not only my nephew, but also Dr. Steph of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. She's going to be running as well, so hopefully I'll be able to catch up with her. That's great. Have you heard from her? I have. Yeah. Super. Give Dr. Steph my love. And also, if you can manage, give her a great big hug from me. I love Dr. Steph. Oh, that'll be super easy to do. Not a problem there. So if people want to help us out or get in touch with us, what's the best way to do that? Well, to help us out, they could go to their podcast player of choice and give us a five-star review. It's really helpful for people finding us. And in order to contribute to the show, people can send in a question or a comment, and that could be directed to brian at thejourneyistherewarded.org. If we have offended you, you could send an email to iamreallyoffended at yahoo.com. And if you want to contribute anything financially, like listener Hendrick and several others have done to help pay for the costs of running this podcast and hosting the website and the media website and all that stuff. There's a donate tab on thejourneyistherewarded.org. And on top of that, it's getting to be the end of the year. And if you have plus points you're not going to be using, you know, we will podcast for plus points. Yeah, absolutely. I have some trips coming up and yeah, would love to uh, enable people not to feel bad about having their plus points expire. I'm quite happy to use those plus points towards future travel. So that would be wonderful. If they're going to expire, don't give them back to United. That means you're paying them again. Let somebody <laughs> else use them. Even if it's not Brian, give them to somebody else. Use yeah, them up. So true. And then as far as social media stuff goes, Micah, how's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, I'm still on X, formerly known as Twitter. I think it's kind of like the artist, formerly known as Prince. 
Yeah. They didn't know how to pronounce it. So I'm still on X, the social media application, formerly known as Twitter, and I am Maine Fly on Twitter. And that's what I'm going to call it. Maine like the state, M-A-I-N-E, fly like Brian's flying off to Chicago. And if someone wants to follow us on Twitter, they could go to TJIT Reward. On Instagram, it's Brian Global Traveler. And on Facebook, it's Brian The Journey is the Reward. Listener Lou manages all of our social media. And I am still on Mastodon someplace or another. And also, I just created an account on Blue Sky. And guess who I found on Blue Sky? Who's on Blue Sky? Our good friend from a medium-sized Midwestern airport, Jen Niffer. Ooh, wow. Yeah, you're going to have to tell Jen that I said hi. I will. Yeah. Another really nice aviation person. Absolutely. So, where are we at mileage-wise? I was at 3,019,543 miles, so the trip to Germany brings me up to 3,030,867 miles, which means I only have 969,133 miles to go for my lifetime global services status, which I Uh, don't think I'm ever going to get. Oh, I don't know. I think you could do that. (laughs) Set yourself a new goal. It's almost within reach now. Yeah, it seems like it is. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So, from here in Portland, Maine, this is your main man, Micah. And this is your global traveler, Brian. Fly safely. And because Mama Coleman took her 200th cruise and her ship came into Hamburg, this is 10cc and the Dean and I because her ship came in with a cargo of dollars. All right. We could all think what we want to think. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. I'm going to try to stay muted. No, it doesn't matter. You're in a separate track, so it's super easy to it's super easy to edit you out. (laughs) So anyway, oh, anyway, my brother Rick is calling, so let me turn that (laughs) off. Hi, Rick. Okay, so I'll bother him later. And some really, really what? Just going to say one of my favorites. I'll let you say it again. Okay. Now I can't remember how I started it. I was going to say, so hang on. What was it? I had something in my, oh, that's great. Give Dr. Stuff, give Dr. Stuff, give Dr. Stuff. I'll I'll give Dr. Stuff your stuff. (laughs) Give give, give Dr. Stuff my stuff. Uh, Perfect. That's the best I could come up with. The other one I thought of when you said fries on a plane, there's a song by Christine Lavin called Fly on a Plane, but I think I'll use that for another time. 